Welcome to the Beyond the Bucket Show, a podcast centered around optimizing all lives' buckets. We all have buckets we are balancing, coaching, entrepreneurial ventures, family, passion projects, and health. Let's all take this journey together and become bucket fillers. And here's your host, Chris McSwain. Allie Mullet is the head women's basketball coach at Folsom Lake College, right outside of Sacramento. She is in her second season as the head coach, but she spent a lot of time as an assistant at the Division II level at Chico State, also the junior college level at Sacramento City College, and Division I as the Director of Operations at Sacramento State University. She was a McDonald's All-American nominee in high school, a terrific player to come out of San Jose, Del Mar High School. She's got great energy, great passion. She's one of the young and up-and-coming coaches we have that just have so much knowledge and so much passion for the game, but most importantly about people. Uh, And uh, like I said before, we're going to try to bring a lot more women onto the program. We feel that uh, it's it's our duty to help put put the women's game out there in the forefront. And Allie is one of those that is definitely doing that. Uh, This is a good one, guys. Enjoy it. She's a class act. uh, And enjoy Allie Mullet. Before we start, if you have 60 seconds after this podcast is over, please make sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with your friends. It helps me bring on more guests to help us all become better bucket fillers. Also, follow me at Chris underscore underscore McSwain on Instagram and Twitter. I'd love to hear from you. Now let's get to the show. Welcome back to the Beyond the Buckets. Excited to have coach of Folsom Lake College, Ali Mullet. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, this is your second year as a head coach, and you have a, have a basketball family for people that don't know. Uh, your mom actually used to be playing in the, in, the, in the leagues here in San Jose. Your dad is an avid hoops fan and coach, and, and your brother has, has played uh, professionally as well as in college and still continues to put out content. So tell me what it's like to be in your family and uh, what some of those dinner table conversations are like about basketball. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I'm so lucky to – I love my family, and they've definitely – uh, supported me and, and let me, you know, have the basketball career, both playing and coaching that I, that I have. So I feel yeah. super fortunate. Um, we are a basketball family, but kind of in a, in a unusual way. Um, neither of my parents played in middle school, high school, college, uh, really? none of that. My, my mom was an athlete, but she, she played baseball with the boys and did swimming and stuff. And my dad actually didn't play. Um, but he was just a big fan. And so, um, I just grew up around it. It really stemmed from my dad. Um, you know, I remember my favorite baby picture that I have is me like in a onesie, like just learning how to walk and I'm dunking on this Larry Bird uh, basketball hoop in the living room. Oh, wow. So he just, he just always surrounded me uh, with an opportunity to play if I wanted to. And um, I think, you know, probably one of his favorite memories of me as a kid was when I was probably like first or second grade he was out shooting on the driveway and I walked up and I was like, dad, can you teach me how to do that? And ever since then, it just kind of started. And, um, you know, I played and then he, he coached me a bunch. He coached me in middle school. He coached my brother. 
Yeah. Um, it was cool to have my brother playing. And then, and then, yeah, my mom joined the adult league in Campbell when she was like in her forties, which is awesome. She was yeah. like, I'll play too. Why not? Um, so yeah, so we've just, it's kind of been something that has been a passion for all of us. And so I feel really fortunate for that. Who was a better player? Uh, you or your brother? Oh <laughs> uh, man, probably, I hate to admit it, probably my brother. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't really get to see my career through as far as I wanted to. I got hurt. I don't know if that's an excuse or not, but um, I know I, I know 100% I was a better ball handler than him. He got yeah. me. He could shoot better than me. I think I could pass a little better than him. So, uh, But it, it was cool, you know, watching him grow and have, you know, so many more opportunities. Like, he got to keep playing after college, and, and it, right. I was just such a proud big sister to watch everything that he could do. Um, you know, being able to play with him growing up is hopefully he would say the same thing about me is, uh, you know, it it made me a better basketball player. I always had a buddy to go, uh, to play with. And we used to do this. We used to just think of all different ways we could compete against each other, you know? Um, but one of my favorite memories with him as kids is we would go get the, um, you know when like newspapers used to come when it was raining and they were in that big like plastic oh yeah yeah uh, bag it was like yeah. long and skinny we'd get that and we'd stuff it with a bunch of like grocery store plastic bags and duct tape it mm-hmm. and uh and we'd play one on one on the driveway and oh, whoever wow. was on defense got that thing and we would just beat the crap out of each other with it and then yeah. as soon as a shot would go up you'd throw that thing and then you'd go get the ball and then the other person would grab that and just start beating on each other so um I didn't realize at the time I was training toughness and ball sure. protection. I just had fun beating up my brother. Yeah, playing so. through the contact, all that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. You're, uh, I used to coach your brother when he was in high school, freshman That's and right. sophomore That's year. Right. And uh, he, was, he was definitely a really great player. But I have to say, you get the nod because you're a McDonald's All-American nominee. And uh, that just doesn't come if you're not very good. And I think you still hold the assist lead. Uh, the assist award for uh, most assist in a career at Del Mar High School and you had a really good high school career and you know your college career had some injuries but um, you know I think you were probably the better player and I think he would say that too even though he did play professionally and, his, and one of his best friends is Jeremy Lin uh-huh. and, uh, I think did, did he dunk on Steph Curry in the pro-am or something like that he picked him I was there he picked him that was kind of cool picked him oh, okay. down the other way and dunk okay yeah so yeah. that's uh yeah so- Aaron, had these cool moments for sure. For Aaron, Aaron Mullet is, is, a, is a great young man and a, a great basketball player. So uh, moving on just a little bit, you've coached at, uh, you know, every collegiate level, almost except for Division Three and NAIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've been at the Division One level as a director of operations. You've also uh, been at the Division Two level for, I believe, eight years as an assistant coach. And you were also an assistant coach at JC mm-hmm. before you took on your head coaching job. But tell me the difference between between Division One and Division Two, uh, as far as what you know as a coach and what you've seen. Yeah, um, that's a great question. I think as a player, when I was in high school, I thought that they were so different. It, when I was getting recruited, um, I was lucky enough to play at Sac State. I played Division One, and and if a division, this was stupid looking back, but when a division two school was calling about me, I'd be like, I'm not playing division two, I'm playing division one. Like I thought it was so different. Um, and in hindsight, they're really not that different. I mean, the, the biggest differences that I've learned is 
the amount of resources that there are. And obviously division one, you can get full scholarships. Uh, sure. You got a couple more pairs of shoes and you get to stay yeah. in a nicer hotel. Um, and uh, the biggest difference I've noticed for the athletes is division one just has bigger, stronger, faster players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll never forget one of my first years, we, we had a scrimmage at, this is when I was at Chico, we had a scrimmage at, um, at Reno and they're a division one program. It was a good opportunity for us to go up and play. And it was really cool that what, what their coaching staff did before the scrimmage, they, they put us through workouts. So they took the guards on one side, the posts over here, and we mixed in with their athletes and, and the girls got to work out with them. Yeah. And I remember the girls, they had us going through cones and finishing or something like that. And the girls were looking at me like, like, how are they losing the ball on this? Like, yeah. I was, you know, they, they hung with those guys, if not better, um, skill wise. It's just that they were way bigger and stronger and faster. Um, and so that's what's been cool for me coaching division two is you get the same skill, the same commitment, all that stuff. Um, compared to a, a lower division one, obviously the higher you go division one, those guys are insane. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, c comparing a Sac state to a Chico state, there's really not that big of a difference. Right. No, I've seen that, uh, you know, in my time coaching, you know, both boys and girls, the only thing that's really different as, as you touched on is going to be the size and athleticism. And yeah. those are two things that a lot of people can't control, but what you can control is your skill level. And, you know, if you can dribble, pass and shoot and defend at a high level, you can play. And for most people, a lot of times they don't want to go division two because they think it's a lower level, but that is probably the better level for them to be able to play at and play at a consistent high rate, which everybody wants to do. Who wants to go to a division one and sit on the bench or not play until their senior year. And every single year they're trying to out recruit you because mm -hmm. the coach's job is at stake. They have to feed their families. The assistants have to feed their families. Yeah. So they're, they're taught to get bigger and better players every single year. And yeah. if you're not, if you're already a tweener, they're going to out-recruit you. Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean, the other thing I didn't realize is Division twos beat Division ones all the time in, in pre-season scrimmages. We, we were lucky enough to do that a handful of times at Chico. So yeah, um, just some, something that not everybody knows about. Um, so it's kind of – I, re I remember one of those years, it was – you guys were at Santa Clara and uh, came, in, came and watched, and you guys are – killing them on your box stuff you know <laughs> shuffle cut shuffle cut and then um you know single doubles yeah. everywhere and you guys yeah. were just getting every shot you wanted you guys were winning for the most of the game I don't know if yeah. you ended up pulling it out but I know it was close yeah. and I know their staff was extremely hot with uh <laughs> with the way that they were playing because that is the stigma yeah you guys are supposed to lose if you're division two mm -hmm. but a lot of the times you got that chip on your shoulder and I just thought that was an excellent game and, and case in point you guys have beaten a lot of division one teams yeah. uh, when you were at Chico and you guys were uh, I believe up to number nine in the country uh, a few years back when you were there yeah I was uh, I was really lucky when I first came to Chico State um, I just showed up and, and they already had a great thing going and yeah we were number nine in the country that year we won a conference championship um, and I didn't know how much I didn't know before I got there. And yeah. I learned so much. I learned from Brian Fogel, who's the head coach. He's the best. Um, but I also learned a lot from the, the players. I mean, mm -hmm. my, my job, my first year was to just shut up and not mess anything up because sure. they, they were so good. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot. 
Um, let me ask you about recruiting. What were you looking for when you were coaching at the Division II level, and what were you? What are you looking for now in players? Um, I think my recruiting philosophies changed a little bit. Uh, to be honest, when I first got to Chico, I didn't know how to recruit. Um, you know, I tried as an assistant coach to try to figure out what my head coach wanted, and I would try to match, you know, his vision for for athletes and um, I just, I think I was trying, like, overanalyzing things, like, oh, she could, she could kind of shoot, but she's a little fast, but she can't do this, and I was just overanalyzing. Um, honestly, where, where my, my recruiting philosophy changed was with one of your players, Kiana Davis, mm. right? Mm. Um, she came and played with us at Chico State, and we played three on three, and somebody was out, so I had to play that day, and I loved playing with her. She was yeah. so fun to play with. She was so good. And afterwards, I was like so hyped, like, oh, we got to get this girl. And, uh, you know, we had a disagreement. My head coach didn't see it the same way. And she ended up going to Stanny and beat our butt like every year. But right. it, it clicked for me is now when I recruit, I don't look at everything. I just am like, who, do, who would I want to play with? If I was playing three on three and I'm in this gym of, you know, 100 girls, who would I pick on my team right now to go play with me? And when I started to look at things like that, it really – simplified it because you know I didn't I didn't look at all the silly stuff I just was like she can play I want her on my team or like she's got a good attitude I want her um so I've definitely changed uh in the way I recruit a little bit um and it's the same thing at the at the junior college you know I just I want people that love basketball that are good kids to be around um that want to get better and I don't I don't I mean you got to be a good athlete and I hope you can dribble and shoot a little bit but I, I like teaching basketball so I can teach you how to be a better basketball player um, you just got to come ready to learn. That's what yeah. I look for the most. For sure. And I think you touched on it. They have to love the game of basketball. And that, that is something that Kiana definitely, definitely has and had when, you know, she's going to be a senior now. Um, but I, I loved coaching her as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would tell it, it, she played point guard for us at five foot nine, but she wasn't the fastest, but most people mm -hmm. couldn't take the ball from her either. Um, and, you know, she would, she wouldn't score 20, but she would get, she's still giving you 14 and eight rebounds every single time she steps out. She's did that in high school for basically four years. And then she, she's been doing that and been an all conference player and um, in, in that league uh, for the last you know, three years. Um, but she doesn't pass the eye test. And it just goes to show you that if you have love for the game, you work hard and you're a good teammate, it can end up working out for you. So yep. that's, that's what I've definitely found is, is the kids that don't pass the eye test but yeah. can still do it are the ones you want to recruit. Um, you know, we had a point guard this year on our team who's, who was so good. Um, and, you know, she was trip, almost a triple-double all the time. Like, she, she was so well-rounded. She filled up the stat sheet. Yeah. Um, and I had a hard time getting her recruited because she didn't pass the eye test in, in a lot of different ways. And, you know, people would be like, she, we, we, need, we need an athletic point guard. I'm like, we need someone fast. I'm like, this girl runs a 551 mile. Yeah. I don't know who's faster than that. Yeah. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's interesting. She, she got, uh, she's going to Menlo. She found a great spot and they are so excited to have her. Um, Menlo's good. Yeah, been, it's, yeah good. I'm excited for her. It's going to be a good opportunity, but yeah, it's, it's, it's the ones that don't pass the eye test, but still get it done. Those are the kids that you want. For um, sure. and it took me a while to figure that out. What is it like being a division two coach? Uh, so many people have aspirations to coach at college, mm -hmm. but they don't know the grind that actually takes place when you are coaching 
in college at really any level, but, mm -hmm. and you could probably speak to the JC level as well, but what is the, what is the grind like as a division two coach, as well as a JC coach? Uh, it's definitely work, but it doesn't feel like work. I mean, I love it. So there's never a day where I'm like, Oh man, I gotta go to practice. Yeah. Um, what I feel really lucky that I took the route that I did, uh, being at division two and, and at the junior college, because, um, you get exposed to so many things, you know, just talking about my time at Chico, it was just me and Brian. Um, and we had, you know, a grad assistant here and there that would help in practice. But for the most part, it was me and him. So I had to break down film. I had to book flights. I had to do every scouting report. I had, you know, like I did everything. Um, and so when I would go out recruiting and sitting next to my division one friends and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, what's your, what are you doing? They're like, oh, well, I, I get three scouting reports a year and I do meals. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, right. so I feel, I felt so lucky that our staff was so small and I got really, really prepared. Um, because I was, I had to do everything. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy, I enjoy that of it, especially if you, if you want to be a head coach, I would really highly recommend starting at a lower level because that's where you learn how to be a good teacher. You learn the ins and outs of how to run a program. Um, I think if I did the opposite and I was at a division one program and I had, you know, I was one of eight staff members. Um, if I went to go start my own program, I wouldn't know where to begin. Uh, so I feel really lucky that I had that, that start that I did. Right. And we, we talk about this a lot of the times on, on this podcast is not skipping steps mm -hmm. and being ready for that next opportunity. And so I know you, a lot of people asked you to come coach for them, whether that be at the high school level or whether, uh, whether that be, you know, at the at other colleges, division one, and you always kind of turn it down because you knew that I need to set myself up. And by you doing all those things really allowed you to step into the role that you're at now. Uh, and, and really have success immediately as you got there. Uh, so tell me a little bit about, you know, stepping into the head coach role, moving over 18 inches, like everybody talks about in our field, yeah. um, and bringing a new program into, into you know, junior college basketball, because I think they were relatively young before yep. you started, or were you the first one? I was the second. So they had a coach. They only had the program one year before me, um, and then I came in. So it was, it was brand new to our college. Um, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I was definitely ready. I felt ready for a while. And because I was so, because of that experience that I had at Chico State, um, I felt very, very, very prepared. Um, and because I loved it there, I was very patient. So I, I wasn't the type of person that was like, oh, let me take this little step and then this little step and then that. I just, I waited because I was happy. I loved what I was doing. I was continuing to learn and I waited for the right opportunity and then I went for it. Um, uh, I, I've loved it at Folsom. I've been so happy here. Uh, you know, it's, it's just, it's so cool to be able to be the one in charge and get to make the decisions. You know, you always, it's, it's different because as an assistant coach, you're sitting there like, I wouldn't have ran that play. I you know, she should be in. But yeah. when you have to make the calls to do that, it's a yeah, lot harder. For sure. Uh, and when all the problems come to you, it's a lot to deal with. So uh, I've definitely learned a lot my first couple years. Um, I've also learned that coaching at a junior college is way harder than coaching division two. 
uh, by a mile. Uh, you know, you have in what ways? Oh, uh, I look back at my time at Chico and I was like, what was I doing with my time? Like I had it so easy. Uh, you know, for one, you get less skilled players. So, you know, the, the best players are going to the four year initially. So you, you have less skilled players, which means you have to be that much better of a teacher. So you really need to know the fundamentals. You need to know how to explain things clearly, what's important to teach. Um, so that part's hard. Uh, you don't get scholarships. So everyone there, you have to be a great motivator. Like I, I have to convince people to come play for me without giving them any money. And I have to convince them to come to practice every day without anything on the line. Right. So you have to be a really good motivator. Um, and then you, th you don't have any upperclassmen. So you have to teach how to be good communicators, how to be leaders. You have to teach people how to work hard because a lot of times they haven't had that experience yet. Um, and then they leave in two years. So as soon as they start to figure it out, they're gone and they go somewhere else. And so you're constantly rebuilding the culture. You're constantly uh, rebuilding the program. And so um, I love it because it's so challenging. And then on top of it, you don't have a full-time assistant coach and you teach four classes. So it's like, I, I look at it and sometimes I'm like, how am I getting up every morning? I'm so exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I love it and I love the teaching part of it, which I didn't, I, I kind of always knew I would like teaching, but I didn't know that I would like it as much as I do. Um, I love being in a classroom with students that aren't basketball players and, and uh, being around those guys is awesome too. So I feel really, feel really lucky. And like I said, it's not, I don't feel like it's work um, because it is so fun. And so, uh, yeah, I'm super fortunate. Wow. Well, you could tell you, you love what you're doing with the energy and the passion that you have. You could just hear it in your voice. And one of the things you talked about is motivation. And I was watching uh, Last Chance You, and they have it uh, on Laney College mm -hmm. based on the last season that they had. And a lot of these kids, they, they come from rural upbringings. They, uh, they're on their last chance to basically make it to the four-year level to play college okay. football. It's on Netflix. It's, it's pretty good. But cool. – uh, um, the, the, the coach said, you know, there's, there's two ways that you're going to be motivated, whether that be internally or mm -hmm. externally. And so he, he put together this thing and I'm going to steal it from, um, yeah. uh, the carrot and the mule. So okay. if you've ever seen, you know, the carrot dangling out in front of the mule mm -hmm. and, you know, if you're internally motivated, you're just going to keep going after that carrot. That carrot is that scholarship that the kids want to earn, right? Okay. I'm going to go after it because I'm motivated. Or the other way is, you know, you get behind the meal and you smack it. Yeah. That, that's the coach. <laughs> that you want people that are internally motivated. And sometimes when you have to, you know, get behind them and, and push them towards that carrot, that is when the coach comes in. But we had rather have people like that that are internally motivated that go after that carrot on their own rather than the other way around, which is... Mm -hmm which, you know, can be like pulling teeth or things like that. And like you said, you have to motivate them a lot of the times to, to do those things. So I think that's a great analogy and I'm definitely going to steal that from the yeah, I like that. <laughs> okay. um, tell me a little bit about your career. You had a, had a really good high school career, got to play at Sac State after your, after high school and uh, you, you had some injuries and things like that. Tell me about, um, you know, battling through those injuries when you you know, you clearly could have had a, uh, you did have a good career either way, but, um, you know, how was it managing those injuries once you got to college? Uh, yeah, I was, 
uh, I was lucky, probably like a lot of athletes who get to go play at the four-year level that, you know, in high school, I got to play all the time and, you know, I never came out of the game. And, and so I loved that part of it. Um, it, my college experience wasn't the best. Unfortunately, it was, uh, my team wasn't very good. Uh, and then I was hurt. And so it just was kind of this combination of, of not being a really great experience, but, uh, and in the moment I, it, I was miserable, uh, a lot of the time, but looking back, I, I learned so much from it. Um, one of the things I learned, you know, when I first got there as a freshman, I'm, I'm in here like, oh, I'm the best player. This is great. I'm going to play 40 minutes a game. And, uh, you know, I wasn't a good defender. I had all these other reasons as to why, you know, I'd get two minutes one night, 30 minutes the next, three minutes the next, and up and down. And I remember thinking, like, this is what it feels like to not play? Like, this sucks. And I didn't think of it when I was in high school about my teammates that sat at the end of the bench and barely ever got in. I never once put myself in those shoes. And so for me to have that experience makes me a better coach um, because now I I really make an effort to make sure everyone feels valued and all their teammates understand that everybody's valued. Um, And so I, I, that was a huge lesson I learned. Um, And then the other lesson I learned was just being hurt. I I was never hurt in high school. And it's the same kind of thing, like being hurt stinks. And it's no fun to not be able to play. And so I'm really, uh, I try to do a really good job when, you know, especially if someone tears an ACL or or anything where they're out for a while of just making sure they feel included with the team, they're supported, Um, you know, being hurt, you kind of lose your identity as an athlete for a while. And so um, just kind of being mindful of that, I think makes me a better coach also. So um, I definitely took some things away uh, from my college experience. Now looking back, uh, I'm grateful for the experience that I did have. Um, I would have loved to, to, you know, win more games and play a lot more. Um, But I'm still, I think if I didn't have that experience that I did, uh, I wouldn't have been as good of a coach as I am today. Right. No, it shows. And, you know, all those experiences that you have, whether they be uh, negative in the moment, they turn to positives if you have that, that right perspective. And you obviously have a great perspective on it. Everybody is important, but everybody's not going to play the 40 minutes per game. Um, they're not going to be able, it's not equal opportunity as far as people shooting the basketball. Like the yeah. kids that can make shots at a high rate are going to shoot and shoot more in the games. It's just the way it is. But the good thing that I, what, what I really take from you is that you care about everybody individually, even though everybody's not going to have it, not, not the same success on the court, but they can use those experiences to help them in their life and totally. get through some of the hard times that they have. Yep. No, 100%. 100%. Um, people always ask me, do you want to go back and coach boys? And I tell them, no, Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't have any, have any, want to, to to do that at this point in time I think it's important I just had a daughter uh, a few months back and thank you um all of the I think women need you know positive people in their lives and people that believe in them tell me about furthering the woman's game and how can we all do that as coaches oh man um that's a hard one I think First of all, I'm like, I've, I grew up when it was like women just started getting opportunities to play professionally. So when I was, when I was before the WNBA happened, the ABL, there was a team in San Jose. I was like the ball girl at all the games. And so um, 
I remember Je- Jennifer AZ. Yeah, yeah. What was it? What oh. was the team name? Oh. The the Lasers. Yeah, Samuel. the Lasers. Yeah, they they were good. No, so I remember like I just always played basketball for fun, and then I remember having the feeling of being like, wait, I can do this in like as in my job, and I was like, I want to do that, and so. Um, yeah, so I, th- I think I got to really see opportunities for women grow in my lifetime. And I know before me, there was huge strides that have happened. You know, I was, I was just talking to my dad the other day uh, about, uh, you know, how it was when he was in high school. And he was like, oh, yeah, we, the girls got to play. Like, there was, there was girls sports. That's what they called it, girls sports. And it wasn't competitive. They just got to run around outside. But they were hyped. Like, they were so happy. So I know we've come a long way and I'm grateful for all those people that came before me. I really truly am. Um, but I do think that there's, there's more to go. I think the thing that we need to do the most is it's not about like, I mean, it's a, it's a little, you know, about making sure women have, you know, the, the salary discrepancies and all that. Like women are never going to make as much as NBA players. We're just not. Uh, I think NBA players make way too much. Like that's the problem. We're never going to catch them. So sure. fighting for that's unrealistic. I think, you know, how many shoes we get how much what nice hotels we stay at like that's great but that's not where the 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 growth needs to happen i think the growth needs to happen is just providing young girls opportunities to play having good coaches that are good role models that know what they're talking about coach them i think that's what's going to grow the game it's it's the actual game it's not all the outside stuff that needs to be grown um that's all just the fluffy stuff that doesn't matter as much, you know? And so I think we just have to keep, keep coaching girls, coach them hard and uh, give them opportunities to play. Yeah. I get asked often, do you coach the girls different? And I say, no, the, the only thing that's different is, you know, you're more mindful of what you say. You know, uh-huh. when I was coaching Aaron, I wasn't very mindful and he could probably tell you some things that I used to say, but I'm just more mindful about what I say and how I say yeah. it. And I think it's made me a better coach coaching mm-hmm. girls because I have to be much better at communicating mm-hmm. and, you know, tell, teaching the why, where it was, you know, when I used to coach guys, you can kind of challenge them, you know, yeah. you, you no, know, you can kind of get at them a little bit more. Girls, you can get at them, but not in that way. You know, you, you're not going to challenge the, uh, a womanhood. You can challenge a guy's manhood a lot yeah. of the times, but if they understand why, uh, they'll they'll be willing to to do what you're what you want them to do um, and things like that and then the second part is you mentioned it in the last 25 years that's when the women's game has gotten more opportunities and the women's game is still relatively infant as far as the the duration the men's game has gone mm-hmm. on for much longer yeah. and women um, you know are now starting to play more and more you know I think club sports also has something to do with, you know, girls playing basketball. One being club volleyball and basketball season are in the same seasons, okay. right? And yeah. so a lot of the taller girls opt yeah. to play volleyball because it's less contact or, you know, or whatever, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Same thing, girls that play soccer. Girls that play soccer can't play basketball you know, and that's another, that's another thing that draws out the girls from playing. If you think about boys sports, football, basketball, and baseball, they're all three in different, in different seasons in high school, yeah. right, and so club volleyball and girls basketball is in the same season, and the same season as soccer, so there's just less 
uh, a less amount of girls that can participate yeah. based on that. Um, so I think those those three things are, are really what hinder the girls' game. But I, great people like you, um, myself, and so many others that are trying to further the game and uh, not treating the girls different, but treating them equal. Yep, I like that. Yeah, my, my favorite, or, you know, one of my things I'm super fortunate for and grateful for is um, – my, when I was in high school, I played uh, on an AAU team and we had a guys team and we would have practice with the guys. Like it was, we would branch off and have our own little, like we would have four hour practices and we'd have like an hour with our team, but the rest of it was with the boys. We played with the boys the whole time. Um, and so it made me have to know how to be better at basketball because they're bigger, faster, stronger. Um, but it also taught them were chewed out so fast um so i think just i I wish there was more like intermixing of um boys and girls especially in the younger ages i think people should play together i think it's so silly that we have a different size basketball than the boys like that just doesn't make any sense that's a a great comment yeah it's just it's you know why and so i i think the the more you can mix people in and, and play together you know, it's, you see so many now NBA players supporting the women's game. That's what's going to help the game grow um, is showing that, you know, our women's game is, is, is just as important. Yeah. I, I think um, two things. One, whenever I have boys that are open gyms, they're mm-hmm. shocked at how good the girls are. Mm-hmm. Number one. And number two, some of the best runs that I've had in my adult playing career is playing with other girls that are yeah. skilled. Like we used to have these runs at Santa Clara university when J.R. Payne was the head coach, but all her assistants were young. So Shandrika and and all these girls that just got done playing, um, Shelby and and all of her friends, like it was a guys and girls run. We used the guys ball. The girls actually preferred using the guys ball because it was heavier. Uh And uh, yeah, it was just, it was so much better. It was just because they they know how to play. They're, They're strong, they're physical. Like when we play in ones, they like, it's a uh, women are really good at basketball and one thing that I can't stand I always say like when we're watching a game or something like that uh-huh. and I'm with my guys and they don't really understand women's basketball that much yeah. they say oh you think we could beat them I'm like uh no like especially on a WNBA team that's a fact not uh, not even a division one college team if we had five of my guys and we ain't we don't hoop like that anymore yeah. at all. that's so, funny we we might be able to get with some elite high school teams, but that's about it. Yeah. Like you get to get to the division two and even JC, like, no, we're not going to beat them. And I, th- I wish people would know a little bit yeah. more. about that. No, my, my favorite would be like, I used to go play at Campbell park all the time. And uh, you know, you get some, some, if you got, if you play with guys that know who you are, it's cool. But then you get the guys, like if, if I just showed up one day and didn't know anybody, like I get the, like, don't worry, I'll play easy on you. And I'd be like, good luck, go ahead, <laughs> you know. And then you bust that ass, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, you grew up in a uh, very diverse environment in San Jose, uh, mm-hmm. West San Jose, California, um, and there's so much going on with social injustice and things like that. What is your perspective on everything that's kind of been going on during the pandemic and, you know, just with the, the NBA just restarted, uh, WNBA just restarted, they're, they're they're using their voice and platforms to speak on a bunch of different social inequality things. What is your perspective on what's going on in the landscape? Oh man. Um, I think I was, 
I was really lucky. I loved growing up how I grew up. So I had, you know, every mix of friends you could ever imagine. Um, in a way, though, it kind of set me up to um, for failure a little bit because I didn't realize that like racism was a thing because it wasn't where I, you know, I, I had friends of every different race. And so I didn't realize until I got to college that like, this is a problem. Um, so I almost had the reverse experience of not, not knowing it was a big deal. Um, and uh, I do think that there's lots of problems. I think it's, Oh, it's, it's the system that we're in. And there's, there's always this, the sad part is, is there's always going to be people that are disadvantaged. That's just how humans work, right? There's always going to be people that are disadvantaged, but I think we just need to do a better job of creating systems in our society that, that support those people and, and educating people to be better people and treat people with more respect. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's good that the, the NBA and WNBA are, are talking about it. Um, I think that's important. I think I personally don't, don't know that like, um, you know, the being on a team and using your, that, that place to have your own personal opinion. Um, I don't know that I necessarily fully agree with it. It's funny though, because I agree with what they're fighting for. Um, I just think it should be done in a team manner. That's just my own personal opinion. So if, to me, it, it would make more sense in my head if it was all of a team that had the same. And I know I think there's a couple teams that are doing that. Um, but I think, it, I think it's important and I think we need to keep talking about it. But I think more than talking about it, there needs to be real work by smarter people than me and you um, that are actually making changes um, in, in the way we do things in our society. Right. And I, I think it starts small in everybody's individual communities. Uh, you're up in Sacramento area. And, you know, obviously I'm here in, in San Jose, but that is that is the most important piece of it all. Just mm -hmm. doing th small things in your communities and then it's going to spread. We're yeah. not going to be able to. And like you mentioned, you know, Bay Area is really a bubble because mm -hmm. it's not like other places. Now, as a black man growing up, did I receive a lot of injustices? Yeah, but most of my white friends wouldn't even know what yeah. some of those things were because they were just blind to it. They didn't see color. They, you know, we were friends and, and that was that unless, you know, unless there was a situation that transpired that showed that other side. And then when they when they were, were showed that other side, it was like, oh wow, this wow, this kind of is a thing. But they never really looked at it kind of similar to what you're talking about. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, it's interesting times. I do think people should say stuff. I like that the NBA is is doing doing their thing. I do mm -hmm. think that um, the team should be united. I like how the women came out because their first game was first. I mm -hmm. like what they did, and they just all said, you know, we're going to go in the back while while the national anthem kind of goes on. And it never was about the national anthem or people that serve this country. It was yeah. simply about the injustices that take place for a segment, uh, a segment of people that mm -hmm. reside in the United States. Yeah. And I th I th if they do it like that peacefully, a lot of, a lot of times it gets mis misconstrued about what the message actually is. And it's ironic when you look back four years ago, you know, Colin Kaepernick and the other people that were maligned for all of this, for kneeling peacefully, the crazy thing is now a, a certain few people stand and now they're getting maligned for the same 
exact thing, but in the opposite way. You see, like, you know, people just can't win. But um, at the end of the day, it's, I think love is going to conquer all. And if everybody comes with a loving spirit and, and challenge, uh, you know, and, and has those challenging conversations, I think, yeah. uh, you know, we will see the progress. Yeah, no, you said it, you said it best. It's, you know, there's so many, it's like, you try to do one thing good, and then people hate on you for that. And then you change the other way, and then you get hated on. And, and that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. Like, we're trying to spread love and understanding and compassion for people. And so um, I think if we just have to all work on being good people, and that's what it all comes down to. Right. That cancel culture is, uh, is real. Yeah. So, um, I've got a, I got a round table question for you. You have a dinner party. There's five other guests, including yourself in the basketball space who are going to be your five individuals that you have, uh, come on to the, come on to your, uh, come to your dinner party. It's gotta be in the basketball world. I will give you my female panel because I want to have 10. I want to have five, <laughs> five women. I want to be equal, but you could just have five total. Okay. I'm going to, uh, okay. I'm going to go Pat Summit. Um, I'm going to go, oh man, Gina Oriama because it'd be fun to have those two together. Oh gosh, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go uh, Steve Kerr. And I'm gonna bring Brian Fogel from Chico. Him, him and Steve Kerr grew up together, so they're buddies. So that's gonna be a good mix to see them together. Oh man, my last one. Um, shoot, I don't even know. Probably somebody from like way back. Like, like I want the first one of the first women's players like that I don't even know of, like way back in the day, and bring her just to be able to talk about how it is now. Wow, I like that list. My list would be, uh, I'll go all women. So Diana Taurasi, she, okay. I've been around her a couple of times. She's the coolest person I've ever met. Okay. Uh, that would be number one. I'm going to go with uh, Cheryl Miller. Okay. I think she is the GOAT of, you know, if you score 100 points, yeah. you know, that's, that's pretty darn good. Doris Burke, one of my okay. favorite, uh, one of my favorite announcers. She is the absolute best. Uh, I just love hearing her call a game. Cool. Um, she, she's my favorite man, man or woman. Uh, okay. I'm going to go with one of the best players to come out of UConn, um, Rebecca Lobo. She's okay, also okay. a terrific uh, announcer and analyst for ESPN. And then I'm going to say the last one, that's going to be tough, but I probably have to go. Did I say Pat Summit yet? No. I'm going to have to go Pat Summit and uh, around that, around the group out, and we'll separate Tennessee and UConn from across the table. <laughs> but that would be my, that would be my, my five dinner. And I guess if I was going on the guy side, number, uh, number one would be Hubie Brown. I think okay. the, the way he sees the game and talks the game, I would just love to have him there. I would have uh, Michael Jordan. I was going to go. With obviously, I think I got to have Kobe there. Okay. Uh, I've got to have Magic Johnson there. Uh, and then the fifth, I would put Bill Russell in that category because he's seen, 
he you know he dealt with social injustice he's mm -hmm. in that famous image of all those prominent athletes i believe back in the uh, 50s or 60s mm -hmm. so i would have him um kind of round out the table cool. of five so who's your, who's your top five uh, men oh gosh um on the guy's side I would, I loved the, the jazz growing up. My brother loved the Bulls. I loved the jazz, which always did me wrong because we lost the Bulls every year. But I would get um, John Stockton and Carl Malone. There you go. Um, they'll, uh, they'll, pa they'll pass the wine back and forth to each other, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, oh, man. I mean, it would be Michael Jordan. You got to have him in there. Uh and then I would want some older guys too. Like I love like, you know, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson together. Like that'd be cool. That'd be really cool. That'd be a good group. That'd be a great group. Good deal. Parents, you know, like who's going to have good conversation with each other? For sure. You definitely need that, uh, uh, that good conversation. And, and you need somebody funny too. I don't know who yeah. the funny person would be yeah. in those groups. Yeah. Although I heard Gino's pretty funny. That would probably be a fun, with Gino and Pat, that would be awesome. Oh yeah. I would pay, I would pay, I would pay for that dinner right. for sure. Um, well, good deal. Hey, I appreciate you coming on. You were awesome. Uh, I hope people get a lot of uh, good information from your story and just, you know, what it takes to be a successful coach. It took uh, 10 years before you got your first head coaching opportunity. You've been in the game since, uh, since a child, as we discussed, but is there anything else that, uh, that you want to throw out there also where everybody can follow you and follow your team and all their success uh no i mean just thanks for having me this is it's been really cool to see people who are innovative like yourself um you know creating things during the quarantine you know i've been on so many different um zoom sessions with coaches and and this is i, I believe it started maybe you were doing it before i'm uh no i start as soon as uh, as soon as we got shut down i was like i got to yeah. do something so yeah, we started doing it. no that's it's so cool to see you know there's like it's like a flower growing in the cracks of a sidewalk kind of a thing you know like good things are coming out of this and so i appreciate you for having me um hopefully i said something that somebody could take away um as a little nugget um and then i'm so bad we have a my team has a instagram follow us i don't even know what what it's called <laughs> look up Folsom lake women's basketball um, i think it's Folsom lake wbb maybe there you go that's it that's I it think, yeah okay i'll follow you guys I, you yeah. know there you go but yeah follow us on there it's actually i try to post a you know a lot of culture stuff um so you can see you know what we're about and um anyone who's listening if they want to pick my brain about anything i'd be happy to share so. Uh, are you active on Twitter or your own personal IG at all? Not, not really. <laughs> okay. Well, you got to get on that. You have so much good things to share. I know. I need to step it up. I need to step it up. Really well, what, uh, you get a few hours of sleep, right? So. Yeah, right? Yeah. I'm too busy teaching kinesiology, grading papers. <laughs> I hear you. Well, Ali, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, it was a pleasure to just, just to reconnect and, and have a good conversation. Same. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Beyond the Buckets podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share the show with your friends. And until next time, take care.